Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, Hello. We are starting a new sermon series. I appreciate all of you who uh, made it through for Hot Topics. Um, I feel like that was a necessary sermon series that we did, um, and hopefully that helped you on how to relate with issues that are in our culture. Um, Today we're starting a new sermon series called IDK. That doesn't mean that I'm waiting for somebody to tell me what it's going to be. That's actually the sermon series that we're doing. Um, And mine, I thought of this as a good way to explain explore the sovereignty of God as it relates to our personal experience. So the way I think I best describe it's like trying to describe the ocean by taking buckets of water from five places and then saying this is kind of what it's like. Um, We're clearly not going to be able to describe every aspect of God's sovereignty because I don't think humans know every aspect of God's sovereignty, so bear with me there. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard this or ever thought this in your head. How can a good God let bad things happen? Okay, how many of you have heard, um, if God is so righteous, how can this be happening? How can these bad things be going on? Or if God is so loving, how can this be happening to people like me? Or if God is so powerful and he could stop it, why didn't he stop it? You hear stories of that all the time. And this is actually a problem. This is like a big problem in uh, theology because it says, if God is all-powerful, right, he can do whatever he wants, and he's all-knowing, he knows everything, and he's all-good, then there shouldn't be evil in the world. Because God's either not powerful enough, he's not good enough, or he's, he doesn't know everything. Because if God's all-powerful and he's all-knowing, maybe he's just not good enough, right? Well, maybe he's all-powerful and he's good, he just doesn't know when it's going to happen, so he can't stop it. Or maybe he's good and he knows everything, he's just not powerful enough to stop it. It's called like a logical, like a paradigm or a paradox Um, And it's been actually a big deal. So what I'm going to try to do tonight is delineate sovereignty, God's sovereignty, in a way that kind of makes sense, because most of the time it doesn't. Um, Sovereign is a noun. So Queen Elizabeth is is sovereign, and she's also a sovereign, right? If I would say, who's the ruler of Great Britain? I would say, oh, the sovereign, right? Queen Elizabeth. Sovereign is a person, and God's sovereign in that way. God's also sovereign like in an adjective, like it describes his character. He's sovereign in the way where he knows everything that's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how's it going to happen. He abides by his character. Um, It says somewhere, yeah, that's real biblical, sorry. Well, it does. It says somewhere, God is not a man that he should change his mind, right? He doesn't change what he's doing. He's sovereign and he does everything. Um, And to prove these facts to you, I have a billion Bible verses. Don't turn to any of them because we're going to go play like Bible freeze tag. Okay, Exodus 32, 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Um, The Israelites are in the desert. Moses is gone. They're like, he did. And uh, they're like, you know, Aaron, build us a golden calf because that's be who led us out of Egypt. God knew that they had done that. God's all-knowing. Do you don't believe me? 1 John 3.20. And if you brought your Bibles, open up to this passage because we're going to be here most of the time tonight. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So God's omniscient. That means he knows everything. God knows everything. 
Okay, next verse, Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. I just like that last part. I don't think it applies. Um, <clears throat> but it applies biblically, but that's what we're saying. Right? Our righteousness compared to God is nothing. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. I'm not going to talk about that. The Hebrew word for polluted garment is real polluted, right? So it's, that's what we're going to say. Um, and so what that means, though, is that God's standard of righteousness, of holiness, of set-apartness, is what the Hebrew word actually means, is much different than ours. He's holy. Psalm uh, 71.13. Oh, nope, that's not it. Exalt the Lord our God. I don't think that's the one. Just pass that. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy, is what that one says. Maybe I gave the wrong one. First uh, John 4, 8, while we know God's holy and we, God, we know God knows everything, maybe he's not loving. Well, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Boom, right? So God has to be loving. Then we go to, as well, to second, uh, I'm sorry, to, gosh, this is bad. Okay, I have Ephesians 4, 3 through 4 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, right? So God's loving. And what that means, basically, is that if I give somebody gifts and choose them, it's not Valentine's Day in the Bible here. It's that God actually loves you. He chooses you. He loves you. He gives you a gift. And what that means is that we have an issue on our hands. We've just proved biblically, and if you don't believe me, well, then talk to me later. We've proved biblically that God knows everything before it happens, when it happens, after it happens. He never forgets. And we know that God, not only does he know everything, but he's powerful enough. He can stop or continue anything. He has a plan and a purpose in mind. We also know that God's loving. So we're saying that God's sovereign. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. This is going to make sense in a second. Sorry. We're talking about the sovereignty of God, how it relates to us. We know that God is these three attributes which relate to his sovereignty, but they don't make sense because we see evil in the world. Um, and so if the Bible is crystal clear about these deals, how are we to act? My mom actually was out weeding two or three days ago. My mom's allergic to everything. If they found out something new, she'd be allergic to it. And she's out weeding, and she's allergic to grass or whatever, to tree pollen. She's out weeding for three hours, she told me, and she was fine. Weeding, 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 fine comes inside, she starts to be real scratchy, and her throat feels itchy. Gets worse and worse. Dad's like, we probably should take you to stat care. So they go to stat care. She's sitting on the hospital bed. The doctor's looking around and looks at her throat and says, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And uh, my dad said, can I drive her to the emergency room because they're cheapskates? And, and the doctor said, no, no, no. That's what he said. They, no, they weren't allowed to drive. So they go right to the emergency room. Now, my mom's fine. It wasn't a big, well, it is a big deal, but it wasn't like she, you know, got hurt. But let's say she did get hurt. Let's say she died, right, because of this allergy issue. I would have to come up here tonight and still talk to you about the fact that God is all-powerful. He knew that was going to happen, or he could have stopped that from happening. He's all-knowing. He knew that was going to happen, and he's all-loving. He's all-good. He hates evil, which means that not only did he know that that was going to happen, and he couldn't have stopped it from happening, but he, and that's the part he's all good. And that's called a paradigm. And um, how many of you have read the book 1984? Nice. The nerds, okay, right there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> it's a great book if you can get past some of the subartic elements. 
But anyway, what they talk about in that book is the concept of doublethink. You hold two opposing premises in your true in your head and suppose them to both be true. So the price of chocolate fell last week, the price of chocolate rose last week. In the book, they hold both of those in their heads, and whichever one they need to believe at that time is the true one. They're both true in their mind. And as Christians, we need to take some, we don't need to double think, but we need to believe some of those premises at the same time. So we have our experience on one hand, the bad things that happen, and we hold those on one hand, and then we hold the things of the, we know God's character. And I'll prove this to you. Maybe this is the next slide, the dress one. Okay, does anyone remember this nightmare? Okay. Um, <clears throat> the dress is clearly white and gold. I think that's very clear. And everybody disagreed or whatever. And that was a real big issue. I mean, everybody was fighting each other. And I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, who would have thought? Um, everyone was up in arms about what, what color it was. Um, does anybody see it as black and blue or whatever? No way. Gosh, weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so uh, that's clearly to me white and gold. And so here I'm saying that we need to hold two logically contradictory truths in our head. Okay, enough about the dress. Um, but we need to hold two logically contradictory truths in our head, and yet we hold that that dress was white and gold and black and blue. And that's important because once it's realized that it's an optical illusion, it depends on what, how your eyes are interpreting the different light. They put it in different backgrounds, and you can see different, the actual color. Um, you understand something more about the system as a whole, right? Once you accept both of the premises to be true, yes, people see the dress as black and blue or whatever color they see it as. Yes, they see the dress as white and gold. Once you accept that, all of a sudden, you understand something deeper about the nature of sight, if that makes sense. Probably doesn't, but we're going to go to the next one. What about gravity? If I said to you gravity exists, what if someone said, well, birds fly, don't they? Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Now I hold this other premise. Uh, birds fly and now gravity exists. Well, how can those both exist? I thought gravity is supposed to pull everything down to the earth. Well, once I understand both premises and realize that gravity is a force that exists on a spectrum, right? The birds are overcoming gravity. I've understood something now about the overharming system as a whole, if that makes sense. And that's important because that's the way it is with God. It's not that God's sovereignty and his goodness is a paradox to the existence of evil in our world. It's that we don't yet recognize the true nature of things. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I love this verse. For the things that are seen are transient. Transient just means temporary or, you know, it's passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's saying things are not the way they're supposed to be. God's sovereignty indicates that he has a plan and a purpose for you, and no matter what your experience is like, God's sovereignty is both true for this thing. So, for example, um, your best friend died, or your best friend's hurt, or you struggle with suicide, or anxiety, or depression, or family members died, or your dog died, or you're frustrated with God, or your whole life is like this, right? We put experience on one pedestal. Now, are those things true? Do you feel like that? God, I got one head nod, right? No, I don't feel like that. I'm happy about that crap. No, right? We feel that. We feel the weight of purposelessness. We feel the weight of not knowing what God's doing. We feel the weight of the heavens being brass. We feel that weight. We don't know what God's doing. And then also we know, on the other hand, that God's sovereign. We know, on the other hand, that God's good, that he's righteous, that he's holy, that he has a good plan and a purpose for our lives. 
In Ephesians, it says here, I think this is Ephesians 7 through 12, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, this part, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, which he, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Right? God has one plan, plan A. There's no plan B. You've probably heard that a million times. It's one plan. It goes from the beginning of time till the end of time, and it wraps the entire of creation, your life, my life, in one cohesive, singular narrative. Right? And so we understand that God has a plan for our lives, Then on the other hand, we see these things going on and be like, well, you have a plan, but my life feels like it's out of control. You have a plan, but it doesn't feel like you're that, you know, you've you've, fell asleep or you're you're gone on vacation or something. You're not here with me. Um, God is sovereign as a king is sovereign. He has a plan and a purpose. John Piper said this quote that I remember, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them, is what he said. Right? God is working a lot of things around. I always think about it. This is so dumb and nerd, I apologize. Um, <clears throat> this really cool thing happened. They took a picture of the center of our galaxy, and they got a picture of the black, of the black hole that's at the center of our galaxy. And they can see it because you can see these three stars orbiting really fast around it and this black hole in the center. And the black hole is a singular mass that is so dense that it holds the entire Milky Way galaxy in its gravitational pull. And the Milky Way galaxy is spinning like this real slow, around the singular point of mass, right? And all galaxies are like that. And the best way for me to think about the plan of God coming to fruition is like that. One object holding the entire galaxy, the entire universe in his sway. And is it fast? Does it feel like it's coming according to our timetable? No. But God is working everything out according to the way he's going to work it out. That's what it means when we say God is sovereign. And we hold the fact that, yeah, I believe that to be true. I believe what the Bible says. Paul clearly is up on a trip that God knows exactly what he's doing, right? But my life doesn't look like that. You know, I started a job as a trim carpenter this week. And if you would have told me out of high school I would have started a job as a trim carpenter this week, I think I would have lost it. Never! You know, I played piano. I was not this, you know, wore a cardigan. Do you think they let me wear a cardigan there? They actually do, but not normally, you know. It's like, that's not what I had planned for my life. You know, I would planned for my life, I don't know, I was going to be a music teacher, teach kids piano. Now I'm installing trim. That's not the same. But <clears throat> I'm having a great time. I'm, I love doing that. And what I mean by what, all of that is that the plan and purpose that you may have for your life may not be what God has for your life. And we hold these two patently, seemingly contradictory premises in our, in our minds, and we realize that they can both be true. And that's okay. We need to understand something about the systematic nature of the whole, if that makes sense. Um, let's go to that 1 John 3, 19 through 20 verse again. Um, <clears throat> it says in 1 John 3, 20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Whenever your heart condemns you, right, and so that's basically what's happening. You look at your life, you see what God says in his word about himself, about his character, about you, about, your, about his nature, and your heart's condemning you. Your heart's whispering, you know, that's not really true. 
You know, you, you say that, you know, that's head knowledge, whatever, but you know that's not true. How could God be good if this happened, right? How, uh, J.D. Greer said there are two tenets of atheism. There is no God and I hate him, right? One is a logical argument and then the other is a very deep emotional argument. And the whole thing that's going on is when our heart condemns us, when our heart is saying, you know, God, you don't know what you're doing. You know, it says in Romans, your work has no handles. You, you know, who, does the pot say to the potter, you know, what are you making? No. When our heart condemns us in the face of God's sovereignty, you hold to the true premise that God knows everything. Um, it's very possible that you'll understand why you're going through situations in your life as it relates to the sovereignty of God. You're like, oh, I understand why you did that. But could I say that I went on the job Monday morning and was like, this is the reason I'm supposed to be a troop carpenter, God? No, you know, I'm just there hammering. No, I'm using nail or it's not 18th century. But uh, <clears throat> basically, I'm doing this job I never thought I would do. And I hold, if my heart would condemn me in that, which, you know, if it would, I would hold that to the fact of the matter that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Maybe I'll understand it in this life. Maybe I won't. What does John say to do? Reassure our heart. When, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. And we reassure our heart. Um, and how do we reassure it? And we reassure it with the fact that God is greater than our heart. That's just the fact of it. That God's know, God knows what he do, is doing, and we don't know. Um, <clears throat> the goal here with this whole topic is not to feel happy all the time. I'm not trying to say, you know, you need to wake up in the morning and jump out of bed and be like, hello world, you know, open up the blinds and go to school and, you know, wave at people and go to work and, you know, be like, ah, all the time, right? Sometimes that's fake. Most of the time, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be kind, I want to be not, but I don't want to be overly bubbly all the time. That's just not my personality. That's not what I'm asking you. That's not what I'm saying the Bible's saying. You know, you, know, you better be happy all the time because God's in control. I'm saying that you need to be your authentic self. Um, and that's important, and I'm going to talk about this a little. Um, when I was reading this again, just to see if this was even true, and it is, and it's just crazy. Um, <clears throat> J you, how many of you guys remember Jacob from the Bible? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, that's good. Okay, so then you remember that Jacob was, when he was born, he was twins with Esau. He grabbed Esau's heel as they were coming out of the womb. The Bible doesn't care about that crap. Coming out of the womb, grabbing the heel. And uh, so they call him Jacob, which is heel holder or supplanter, right? And Jacob is the youngest child, I think, but he has middle child syndrome. Constantly proving himself, constantly going about, constantly thinking, I got to be, the, you know, this guy. And, you know, he's not rough and tumble like his brother. His brother's real big and manly like me. And so then other people, what? <laughs> and Whatever. And so other people are like, you know, this guy, you know, he's a second born. He doesn't get any rights in that culture. So Jacob goes and convinces, he deceives his father, pretends he's Esau, deceives Esau out of his birthright. And the name he was given at birth, heel holder, supplanter, right, is coming to fruition. He does that with his father. He does that with his brother. He does that with Laban when he works for him. Laban does that with him. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and Jacob's in the middle of it, heel holder. And he actually does pretty well for himself. And what you notice throughout this story is that God starts chasing after Jacob, after heel holder, after supplanter. God starts chasing him, chasing him, chasing him. And the one time, or rather, God told Jacob, go back, right? They're pretty close now. God says, go back. 
And he goes back, and somebody says, your brother's coming to meet you. And now Jacob just cheated his brother out of his birthright. It's like if my sister were here and I said, hey, mom, you know, I'm really poor. Can you give me all the will? And mom was like, sure. You know, my sister's standing there, you know, however much money is just, I just wrote her out of, right? And so, hey, your brother's coming to meet you. Jacob's like, he's going to kill me, and I have 12 kids. So he separates his camp, separates them apart, and heel holders, supplanters, doing everything he can to manipulate the situation and make it so his brother's not angry. And uh, this part of the, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It says, like the next verse, and a stranger came and wrestled with Jacob till daybreak. That part's always weird, right? A guy comes and just wrestles with Jacob. You know, it's WWE now in Canaan. I'm like, what's going on here? You know, this, Jacob's having this, you know, he's, he's constantly trying to get to the top, you know, young runt, trying to get there, get there, get there, and this guy comes and wrestles with him. And uh, Maya and I did this. Do you remember when he did this? I have to say it. I said, Maya, I want to try it. You know, I want to see how long I can go. <clears throat> and so we cleared all the furniture out of the living room. I just start to wrestle Maya. Maya's huge. This is what I felt like would be imagined if I were Jacob wrestling God. And uh, Maya, would, I would just get, like, pinned down, and then Maya would let me go, and I would chase him again, and then he would pin me down, and I would get after him again. I think I got, like, four and a half minutes or something. Wrestling is so intensely, like, physical. But Jacob didn't care, right? You see this kid, and you see this just, like, ugh, this, like, never-fulfilled guy who's fighting, 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 fighting to be on top. And so he fights with this stranger, and he fights with him till daybreak. And, uh, the stranger sees that it's daybreak, and the, the, that part of the story never says who the stranger is. Stranger sees that it's daybreak. He's like, yeah, I'm tired of fighting. He touches Jacob's, ooh, don't do that, touches Jacob's hip, and Jacob becomes limp. That muscle doesn't work anymore. Stranger just touches him. Jacob becomes limp. You know, Jacob, you've been beaten. If a guy can touch your hip and all of a sudden you do that, you know, you're done. Jacob doesn't. He still grabs onto the guy, right? He can't even use his one leg. He's holding on to the guy. And the guy says, basically, what do you want? And Jacob's like, bless me. And he says to Jacob, what is your name, right? Now, Jacob knows his name, and he says, Jacob, which is heel holder, supplanter. I'm supplanter. I've constantly been fighting my life. You know, nobody gave me the respect I deserve. You know, people like that. Nobody gave me the respect where I deserve. Everything I have, I fought for myself, you know. That's what Jacob was like. And this guy's like, no, your name is Israel. And what Israel means in Hebrew is, you know, uh, what is it? Let El contend with him. Let God contend with you. God is fighting with you. And now, you know, we have a city or nation of Israel now, still, like 4,000 years later. And that's what the Jewish people live, is a place called Israel, right? Because God wants the fight. God wants the struggle. I constantly think to myself, why? It was, it's revealed later that God was clearly the one fighting with them. And, you know, the Jews still don't eat. When they eat an animal, they don't eat that part of the animal because that's where God touched it. And they don't want to eat something that God touched, you know, 4,000 years ago on Jacob. And I'm like, why would God come down to earth with this dude and wrestle him till daybreak, right? Because God wants to be in the struggle. And we think, you know, when it relates to God's sovereignty, dang, I'm trying to make myself feel happy all the time. I'm trying, I don't want to feel depressed, but I constantly feel this way. I don't want to feel anxious, but I constantly feel this way. I don't want to feel like I'm less than everybody else, but I constantly feel this way. God must hate me. No, God wants you right where you're at. God wants you right in that. He wants to fight with you through it, right? You think that if you were going to do something with God, it'd be like, you know, I'm loved by God, or that's what the people of, the chosen people of God would call themselves. It's like, 
Love thy God. No, fight with God. That's what they want. Because God wants to fight. God wants to be in there and fight with the circumstances through you. It might seem that God is sovereign and has a plan and he's bypassing right on through you and you don't know why your life has turned out the way it is or you don't know why school's so stressful or you don't know why your life's so stressful and yet we realize that God wants to be in the middle of the fight with us together. Um, I think that's an, a really important point as it relates to God's sovereignty because for me it's not one of those things where you have to feel it all the time. And in 1 John and later we'll talk about that where when our heart doesn't condemn us, we have the confidence what we, what we ask before God because our heart is in line with God. Um, God wants our heart. God's fighting for our heart, and God wants to strive with you for your heart. Well, let's pray. Uh, dear God, we realize that you know a lot more than we do. We realize that you're a lot more strong than we are, that you're a lot more powerful than we are, that you're a lot better than we are. And God... It's hard for us because our experience tells us otherwise. Our heart, our emotions, whatever tells us otherwise. Yet, God, you, you tell us in your word that you are greater than our heart. And so when we don't believe something you've said, when we don't see it as reality, we just trust you. Um, your love language is trust, God, and we want to love you in that way by trusting you. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you sent your son to die on the cross for us that uh, your ultimate act of love for us was sending your son down to die for us, God. And we're so thankful for that. Um, something else we didn't deserve. We love you, God, and we just pray you bless us tonight as people are going into finals and work and everything else. In your son's name, amen.